And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Late night Midnight on the interstate And I didn't feel so great Welcome back to Straight from the Source. Michael Russo coming to you without Jeremy Rutherford, although I did have a blast with him over at Fulton uh, on New Year's Day. Uh, we had uh, just an incredible crowd of uh, wild fans, blue fan, blues fans come on out before the Winter Classic and uh, and hang out with us um, for a good hour. It was just a great podcast. And if you missed that one, uh, just go in our archive system, either on the Athletic app, the Athletic website, uh, Spotify, uh, Apple, wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can find that one as well. That ran on Saturday, thanks to our awesome producer, Jeff Domet, who turned it right away. Uh, so really, really appreciate that. Another really cool show for you today. Um, during the Winter Classic, um, I embedded myself in downtown Minneapolis at a Marriott because I needed the Marriott points with all these games postponed lately. And uh, because of that, I was able to get with a bunch of people um, to sit down and do quote-unquote mini-pods. And uh, just a really fun show with, uh, today with Mike Rupp, Jamie Hirsch, Darren Pang, Keith Jones, and Kenny Albert, um, five people that were in town to do television, um, and on Jamie's case, television and radio. And um, just a really, really fun um, five different sit-downs. Actually, four sit-downs. Uh, Jonesy and, uh, and Panger t- were together. In fact, Panger held the mic for Jonesy uh, during it, and it just was an absolute blast to sit down with them. And as you can hear during these mini-pods, just a lot of really cool topics. And frankly, each of these podcasts could have gone on for three hours. So I uh, really appreciate everybody listening. Um, it's been a, just a crazy uh, couple weeks for the Wilds since they won their eighth in a row in San Jose way, 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 way back on December 9th, three and a half weeks ago. Uh, since then, they've lost five games in a row, but they've had a bunch of games postponed seven in all including three in the next five games so uh this upcoming game against the boston bruins and the home game against the washington capitals 
add extra significance because, again, they're going to be idle until the next home game against the Anaheim Ducks next week because of uh, postponed games in Winnipeg and Edmonton. And because of that, and with all the injuries and illnesses going on throughout the team right now, uh, I fully expect that we are going to have two new faces by the time that you maybe are even listening to this podcast. And that could be one or both of Matt Boldy and Marco Rossi. Um, Jordan Greenway, we show up at practice today and he wasn't there. Now, he has been playing through an injury, so that's the first thing that I suspected, but it turns out that he was put into COVID-19 protocol. On Tuesday, uh, Dean Evison said that we will find out uh, who will be called up to replace Greenway in the lineup. At the end of today's uh, press conference, I basically said to Dean, you know, is this a time that uh, that is needed for an injection of a couple young first round picks? And Dean Evison, who obviously what I was talking about, who I was talking about, and he basically said that uh, that um, he alluded that that possibly could happen. He didn't say which one or both, um, but I, reading the tea leaves, believe that they are trying to call up both Matt Boldy and Marco Rossi. And if that's the hap- if that happens, that'll be the second time the Wild have two players make their NHL debuts uh, this season. The other one was in Seattle. I think it was Connor Durer and uh, Joe Hicketts, if I remember. Um, this one, obviously, would be much watched TV. It's nationally televised on ESPN Thursday night in Boston. Uh, it's 50 minutes from Matt Boldy's hometown of Millis. He obviously uh, played his college hockey at Boston College right down the street from, uh, from the uh, TD Garden. Uh, um, so that would be really exciting for him. But the other really special thing, if Marco Rossi gets the recall, is that it is one year to the day today as I speak that he was diagnosed with myocarditis uh, by the Wild Team doctors. So this would absolutely complete an incredible journey for him if he gets the recall. But it is time. The Wild need an injection of energy, need an injection of skill, need an injection of youth need an injection of competent play right now. And Matt Boldy and Marco Rossi have both been uh, producing down in Iowa. Uh, both have more than a point of game down there and um, and are both healthy. So uh, let's see if, if either of them um, can help this team get off the schneid and get a big win in Boston. Um, but right now, Jared Spurgeon continues to be hurt. Um, Jewel Erickson continues to be hurt. Jonas Brodine obviously did not play in the winter classic because he wasn't get able to get out of a uh, COVID-19 protocol. Dean Evison said, said today that the hope is that he will be able to get out of COVID-19 uh, protocol, um, in time for Tuesday's practice, but obviously we'll see if that happens. Um, he hasn't been on the ice or been working out really since, uh, he was first diagnosed with the virus. Greenway has entered a uh, protocol now, and then Cam Dalbert is out with a lower body injury. That means that for the foreseeable future, even though Dean Evison didn't give us really a timetable for um, Cam Talbot today, um, it is Capo Kackman's net. Now, Capo obviously has had some up and down play in the last, uh, not only this season, but last season, last season, his season uh, that started off so well, completely fell apart. But when he was the number one for Cam Talbot, when Cam Talbot got hurt last January and then had COVID-19 in February, Capo Kackman came into net and he won nine straight games, a rookie record. I think he's only one of four or five rookies in NHL history to have a win streak that long. So um, Capo has shown before that in that type of um, spotlight that he can get it done and we'll see if he can do it again um, right now. So, um, you know, again, herky-jerky schedule coming up here. The Wild won't play um, after Thursday and Saturday pretty much all of next week until they have that home game against Anaheim, but their next three of their five games are postponed. So this game in Boston is just going to be um, huge. They've got to get back on track 
track. Very disappointing Winter Classic. As incredible of a job as the league did to get that game underway and spend millions of dollars of making it just absolutely gorgeous and as much um, uh, incredible, um, you know, uh, I don't know, guts. I wouldn't have done it uh, uh, by the 38,000 fans in the crowd to sit outside in those um, dangerous sub-zero temperatures. Um, The Wild just didn't show up for the game. They, They got off to a terrible start. They had a horrendous second period. Um, and then the third period, it was too little, too late. They um, they just were in a position where they got a couple goals, unleashed 16 straight shots against a Blues team that was in prevent defense mode. But it just wasn't good enough. And, and they cannot continue to try to play 15 minutes of hockey a night and expect to win. They didn't play well in Dallas. They didn't play well against Buffalo, got what they deserved there. They didn't play well in Vegas. And they were very, very flat in LA. And that's amounted to five consecutive losses. Then you have add in the fact that these guys aren't in the lineup, the sporadic schedule, and this is what you get. And I know the schedule sounds like a bit of uh, a, an excuse, but just think of this logically. I mean, you know, it's, it's a herky-jerky schedule. You can't get any traction. A lot of playing this sport at this level is get, is this is is understanding the speed of the game, playing with instincts, not thinking. And when you're playing once every 12 days or once twice every 19, like the Wild have been, it just, you know, Kevin Fiala talked about it today. It's just you, you everything is slower. You're constantly thinking when you're normally not thinking. And that has been the problem with the schedule the last little bit. So you add in the losses, you add in the injuries, and then you add in this sporadic schedule that's not allowing them to get traction. And this is what you get here. So their schedule, their season has absolutely turned taken a turn for the worse. Um, this is the first real adversity they've had this season, and they are in danger of a free fall here if they don't get back on track. So that's why I like the move, if it's going to happen, uh, by Billy Guerin and Dean Evison to get uh, Rossi and Boldy up here and maybe so inject some life into this roster. So that's pretty cool. Um, but I wanted to uh, let everybody know, again, that this uh, podcast, I just um, had an absolute time uh, recording it. And uh, Mike Rupp, Jamie Hirsch, Darren Pang, Keith Jones coming up. But first, after this break, Kenny Albert. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, happy to be joined by Kenny Albert. Uh, man, we bring the beautiful weather for you, Kenny, here on, uh, on New Year's Eve. Um, it's going to be uh, today's a warm front compared to what the game is going to be like uh, on, on New Year's Day. Well, Mike, great to be here uh, with you and the state of hockey getting ready for the Winter Classic. I arrived yesterday on Thursday, and it felt like uh, like spring. It was yeah. 24 degrees. It actually didn't feel too bad outside, but I guess that won't be the case tomorrow. No, and isn't it, I don't know if you experience this, like in Minnesota, if it is like a sub-zero day like today, and then it's 25, it feels like summertime. Like it is, it is so refreshing out when it gets up to that, that temperature compared to what it's going to be like on New Year's night. Yeah, it does. But I think, you know, the, the Minnesotans are used to it, right? Yeah. The, the, they Absolutely. used to go to Vikings games outdoors <laughs> and uh, even a couple of years ago yeah. when the Vikings played uh, in, in negative six degree weather during a playoff game, yeah. right? In January of 2016. Yeah. So 
uh, they'll be out there bundled up and, and ready to go. That's why I thought it was really interesting. Like people talking, like, are they going to postpone the game? Or are they going to cancel the game? Like, like the Vikings on Sunday are playing in Green Bay. It's going to be absolutely frigid. Nobody's talking like, are they going to cancel right. the, the Green Bay game? It's just like, because this is unique that people are thinking like this should be. And there yeah. have been other examples. Yeah. Uh, the, the game in Edmonton, yep. right? In 2003. Where the wind chill was like minus 30 or something. Right. So they've done it before. I know the coldest winter classic was 13 degrees mm-hmm. face off, but. Uh, the game in, in Edmonton, uh, I guess it was November 2003, yeah. similar to what uh, we're expecting for tomorrow. Yeah. Now, I was just talking to Panger. Panger actually still has to be on the ice. Uh, you you and, uh, and, and Keith Jones are going to be up in the booth now? That's the plan. Um, <laughs> you know, it's been done both ways in the past. Yeah. Um, I worked one outdoor game on the TV side in Colorado Springs two years ago, uh, February of 2020, with Eddie. And we were up against the glass. And it was cold. You deal mm-hmm. with that. You wear layers. From a broadcast standpoint, there are positives and negatives to both, uh, to being right up against the glass or up in the press box, where we'll be tomorrow. Um, I've worked a number of outdoor games on radio at uh, Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia, Yankee Stadium, City mm-hmm. Field, Bush Stadium, uh, Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia. And for all of those, we were up in either the baseball or football press box and it's pretty far from the rink. Yeah. Uh, there are little tricks of the trade you can use. Um, I remember in Philadelphia, I brought binoculars, but I found out pretty quickly you can't really call a hockey game through the binoculars yeah. because you'll lose perspective of what else is going on. You might not see a penalty called behind the play. You won't see what's going on at the benches, if the goalie's pulled, et cetera. But I would use the binoculars to identify who was on the ice before faceoffs, mm-hmm. And then at least you have in your mind which line combination, which yeah. defense pairing is out there. Um, my guess is... I'll probably use the monitor a little more during play than I normally would uh, just because of the distance. The baseball stadiums to me seem like you're closer, though, in the press box um, than the football stadiums for the most part. Although in Philly, it's pretty high up and and the ice was out behind second base. I think it'll be a little closer here. Uh, We're going out there later today to do sort of a Mm walkthrough and check out the booth, but... Um, as far as the elements, I think we'll be a little happier upstairs. I know Jones yeah. will be. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, you know, I always say you're the busiest man in broadcasting. It's amazing the amount of networks you work for, uh, games you do. Uh, you know, again, Fox Baseball and Football, uh, MSG, Rangers and Knicks. Um, I mean, it's it's just crazy. Obviously, TNT. You still do NBC stuff as well. Um, you know, does this stuff ever get old? Uh, I I can't imagine. Like, there are days I think for all of us that have really cool jobs that it does get tiring, but I think that on that there are a lot of times that you probably look at this and be like pinch yourself that you get to do all these incredible events all the time the actual job never gets old the the preparation um it's just still so much fun it never feels like work very fortunate uh to have worked for fox sports now for 28 years yeah and msg for 26 uh tremendous experience uh doing the nhl and nbc over the last 12 years or so and uh seven olympics and now uh, with the NHL on TNT, so proud to be a part right. of the new group along with Jonesy and Pagger and uh, Eddie and all the others that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the schedule sort of fits together like a jigsaw puzzle and <laughs> uh, all of the bosses have been great through the years about that. You know, the only stress is really uh, sometimes travel related, just making yeah. sure you're getting to the next place. Um, like like tonight, you know, I mean, you've not, got to get to Indy for a game right. tomorrow, so you are knock on wood. Yeah, um, like you're you know, got to. Uh, there are plans and there are backup plans, and I don't want to jinx anything. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about that after the fact. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I've had some. Uh, I'm actually in the process. Uh, I've just started uh, with a book project. Um, 
have a publisher and it's something I've wanted to do for a long time. Wow. And there will definitely be a chapter on some of the travel adventures. Uh-huh. Um, and you're writing it? No, or no ghostwriter? Yeah. That's um, awesome. Although, are you available? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's the plan. Um, I've actually, during the pandemic, I, I wrote a number of, uh, you know, it's hard to tell if they're actual chapters or just yeah. uh, uh, outlines, paragraphs. Uh, memories. Just put together memories. Yeah. But um, there, there have definitely been some travel yeah. adventures getting home from St. Louis uh, despite a snowstorm, going through Detroit and Allentown, Pennsylvania, and then yeah. four hours in an SUV. The rest of the crew wound up getting yeah. stuck there for three days. Um, Is there going to be a chapter there, on the baseball game in St. Louis that you did? Like 20, 20 innings, innings, 20 innings game. That's, in the there. that's in there for sure. <laughs> you know, there have been long car rides yeah. uh, due to weather or flight yeah. cancellations from Buffalo back yeah. home, you know, to New Jersey, from yeah. Atlanta to New Orleans. Yeah. There, there have been a bunch of those, but... Um, you know, always again, knock on wood, always seem to be able yeah. to get to the next city. Now, I mean, I've seen play by play guys have, at, at this is gonna be a weird segue, but I've seen ba- play by play guys doing baseball games that sprint to the bathroom. Did you for 20 innings not? You Never did, went. Yeah. The 20 inning game. That was in 2010. It was yeah. the Cardinals and the Mets. I was working with the great Tim McCarver. I think he only went once, actually. <laughs> the bathroom. But it's a lot easier for the color guy right. because you could, you're the one that's gonna breathe there. Right. You're if the color talk, analyst yeah. leaves for a minute or two, yeah, you, you don't might even not notice, notice, right? Yeah. The commercial breaks are two minutes. There actually was a men's room close. I could have gone if I had to. <laughs> I think it's kind of mental. Yeah, yeah. Um, you never think the game's going to go that long, right? right? You think it's going to end yeah. in nine innings and then end in 10, end in 11, end in yeah. 12. You don't expect it yeah. to go 20 in six hours Didn't and 53 minutes. you do a crazy minutes. Mets game too that went forever once? Or? Well, they were playing the Mets. Okay. Louis oh, okay, that's the Mets. Well, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you don't expect it to go that long, uh, but- uh, that might be my claim to fame. Yeah. Uh, never never went to the men's room <laughs> yeah. for 20 innings. <laughs> and then when you finally went, they put a sign up. Kenny Albert went here. Now, of course, in <laughs> hockey and, and basketball and football, you have between periods yeah. and admissions, so you know yeah. mentally that you'll be able to go at the end of the first period, right. at the end of the first half, yeah. et cetera. I bet this is the most fun topic you've ever had on any of your interviews. Bro. I've discussed it many times. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you, uh, like, you know, for me, the one regret that I do have as a beat writer is I've never kept a track of how many games I've covered, um, road credentials. Like, I wish I just had a shoebox full of road credentials. Like, I, I've just, from the moment I started, you know, you get back to your hotel room and you throw it out. Do you have, like, do you know how many games you've done and and kept track of that for this book? Sort of. Um, I have a general feel Mm -hmm. in all of the sports. Uh, I'd probably be within about 5% Mm -hmm. of the number. Uh, I'm like you. I wish that I kept, started keeping a notebook, just listing each event. Or uh, game sheets. Way back uh, when. I do keep, well, I keep my game sheets. So now the credentials are in boxes everywhere. Uh But I do have, I would say 98% of my, my personal mm-hmm. game sheets, charts, whatever you want to call them. So I, I have a general idea. I, I know I hit 450 NFL broadcasts earlier this season. Wow. Um, there's a gentleman uh, who is in the Midwest and on the internet, it, it's called Sports TV Database. Uh-huh. And he has these incredible lists by announcer, sport, you know, by team, et cetera. Wow. So I can actually look up. Wow. Those are national games. So he doesn't have the local broadcasts on right. there. But there are actual lists of where where we all rank on national games, NFL, NHL, Major League mm-hmm. Baseball, NBA, et cetera. Um, so I know I hit 450 about a month ago on football. Um, I have all the baseball game sheets, so I could figure that out. Um, in hockey, I know that uh, locally with the Rangers, radio, for example, 
ironically, it was the, the second outdoor game in 2014, the stadium series at Yankee uh-huh. Stadium that Rangers played the Islanders. That was my 1,000th Ranger radio game. Wow. I haven't looked at the numbers since then, but I could figure it out from my game sheets. It's probably around 13 or 1,400 at this point. Um, and then the national numbers are on this website. So um, when, when I do the book, uh, I'll sit down, and it won't be the exact number, but it'll be pretty close. Yeah, that is really cool. Now, I didn't realize this until about an hour ago when I ran into I ran into Darren Pang, Keith Jones, and your longtime statistician, Ben. Um, and he told me, so 28 years ago, as you mentioned, you, you started with Fox, and at the same time, that's when they hired Joe Buck and Tom Brenneman as well. So that was a concerted effort by them to essentially hire three sons of famous broadcasters? And Kevin Harlan, okay. uh, who's, who then moved on to CBS about uh-huh. four years later. Uh, 1993 December was when Rupert Murdoch stole the NFC package away from CBS. Uh-huh. And at that point, uh, John Madden, the great John Madden who passed yep. away earlier this week. And it was a tremendous documentary. I don't know if you had the chance to watch it last weekend mm-hmm. on, on John and his multiple careers as a yep. coach, broadcaster, video game, uh, named after him that he was so heavily involved with, um, Fox made the decision. Rupert Murdoch hired David Hill and Ed Gorin and George Krieger as the executives. Uh, David was from Australia. Ed was from CBS. And uh, they decided to hire John Madden and Pat Summerall as their number one crew from CBS uh, just to establish an identity and Uh give Fox credibility. They brought over Dick Stockton and Matt Millen, two great broadcasters from CBS as the number two crew. And they held auditions in March of 94. And they brought a lot of us out there. Uh, and they wound up hiring for their other four crews as the play-by-play guys, uh, 25-year-old Joe Buck. Tom Brenneman was a couple of years older. I was 26. Kevin Harlan, not sure how old he was at the time, but he had about 10 years' experience doing the Kansas City Chiefs on radio, so he right. had more football experience than the rest of us. But they hired four young play-by-play announcers, three who happened to be sons of broadcasters and kevin harlan's father was the president of the green bay packers bob harlan Mm -hmm. so he was in the business as well and uh you know as crazy as it is here we are 28 years later and um tom was at fox for about 25 years Mm -hmm. joe and i are still there kevin's had a great career with cbs and turner since leaving fox uh but it's wild to think back how young we all were and Really didn't have a lot of experience at the time doing yeah, football. That's crazy. And Ben was fascinating just talking to. Like, he is a professional statistician and spotter. Like, he's worked for you for 28 years, Doc Emmerich. I mean, he's his he lives on the coast of Maine, and his travel schedule is almost scary to listen to. Like, he is constantly gone. He does, he'll go with you to Indianapolis, then he goes and does Monday Night Football, and then he's going to be in Pittsburgh again on Wednesday to do, I think, TNT or... Yes. Like, it's just crazy how much... Yeah, no, he he does... Is he ever home? He does a great job, and we've been close friends for 28, 30 years now. We met when I was doing Washington Capitol games in 93 or 94, and he had been hired to sell tickets for the team. He was just out of Penn State. He had played hockey there. Um... He was in a, uh, an intern with the Pittsburgh Pirates in public relations. He actually wound up for much of the late 90s, early 2000s, didn't do as many games with me because he was full-time with the Pirates as uh-huh. their assistant PR guy. So for a number of seasons, he would only do football games with me after the baseball season ended. Um, he was instrumental when they built PNC Park in Pittsburgh, uh, the, the out-of-town scoreboard. They were the first to show the, the base runners from the out-of-town games. They had uh-huh. a little field. Right, right. That was his creation. Um, so he did work for the Pirates for many years in public relations, but 
started with me in 94 as a spotter, statistician, jack of all trades. Um, we've worked five Olympics together. Um, he, I introduced him to Doc Emmerich. He wound up working with Doc for many, many years on hockey. Um, he works with Steve Levy on Monday Night Football. They work together on college football. He worked with Mike Tarico for many years. He does hockey for ESPN yeah. and Turner. It's hard to describe exactly what he does. Uh, <laughs> he's a statistician, spotter, jack of all trades up in the booth. Yeah. But the thing is, we think so much alike during the game. He'll know what I'm looking for. And in both football and hockey and baseball, because he was with me and he was an integral part of the broadcast, the Bautista home run in 2015 for the Blue Jays right. against uh, Texas. Uh, that seventh inning was crazy, and Bautista hit the the home run, the bat flip, yep. um, which everybody remembers. But there was a crazy sequence earlier in that inning, and Ben had the rule in about 10 seconds. He had the rule book open to the exact page. He knows where to look. Um, so during football games, we're sort of, he and I are, are really into the game management. You know, we're thinking similarly to the coaches as far as are they going to take a timeout here? Can they challenge this play? What's the ruling on this? And he's he's a big part of that. He, he he's an extra set of eyes right. and ears, and he really knows the rules. And um, he's great with the game yeah. management situation. Winter Classic uh, fans would know him because didn't, he was on camera showing like th th that one Winter Classic that was super cold. And Doc Emmerich, he you know basically he needed to, like almost write on the glass. Right, so, exactly. Like, uh, you know, instead of writing it down on the scorecard for Doc, he wrote the goal and the assists yeah. and the penalties. Uh, with his finger on the glass, yeah, and uh, you know, see that right, right at ice level. So that, that was Ben. Yeah, yeah. But he's done Olympics, uh, you know, with me dating back to 2002, yeah. you know, also as a research type, you know, yeah. if there's a record set, you know, he'll be on that right away. Yeah. So again, hard to describe yeah. exactly what he does, yeah. but he's an integral part yeah. of the broadcast. And if you ever listen to Kenny uh, do anything, you know how much you have an encyclopedia you are about everything. I mean, especially when it comes to stats, it's unbelievable some of the things that you'll pull out just during a radio interview. Well, you, you know, you like, try to be prepared for yeah. all situations, but you also have great people around you yep. uh, sometimes feeding the information. But, yep. uh, um, you know, I think that's really one of the most fun parts of the job is the preparation and mm -hmm. finding little nuggets about, about, you know, the players and coaches, yeah. and, you know, for the winter classic, yeah. for example, you know, you never get in probably 10% of the research that you have prepared, but you have to be ready. So yeah. little nuggets, whether it's on the, yeah. the players in the game who are from the state of Minnesota, yeah. the history of outdoor games, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, always like to drop those in every so yeah. often. Um, you know, lastly, Kenny, uh, like, I don't want to ask you like what your favorite kid is, but what is your favorite sport to do? I mean, you've done, you do basketball, baseball, football, you do hockey, you've done, I've seen you in town here doing boxing. You've done everything. Do you have a, like, I mean, uh, you know, do you have a favorite or is it just what you're doing that night? I've done track and field and volleyball at the Olympics <laughs> as well. So I added yeah. those to the list in recent years. Didn't you do water polo too? Or am I wrong on that? No, Doc and Doc Pierre. Did, yeah, Doc uh, and Pierre yeah, McGuire right. did water yeah, polo. Exactly. That would have been fun. Yeah. Um, I always say it's like asking which kids you like best. Yeah. And I have two kids. Uh, I've been and lucky. You like them both real, the same. Real, real lucky, exactly. <laughs> they might not, they might think I like the other one better <laughs> if you ask them. Um, I've been so fortunate to be involved, you yeah. know, in, in the four different sports, as you mentioned. Haven't done as much baseball the last couple of years because hockey's gone so long into yeah. the summer. Yeah. So that's become the priority. This year might go till December. Right. So. so, you know, I was up in the bubble in Edmonton for yeah. 37 days, two summers ago, last year had the opportunity to call the Stanley Cup final, which ended in July. Yeah. Um, so hockey has become a summer sport. Um, growing up, hockey was my favorite. But the others were not far behind. Yeah. It was real close. But played hockey, yeah. wasn't very good, uh, but enjoyed playing on club teams in high school and yeah. college and 
still played in adult leagues until I was yeah. in my mid forties. Um, so that was my goal was, yeah. was to do hockey play by play on the radio. That's mm-hmm. what I wanted to do. And, um, had the opportunity in high school. And then, uh, when I started working down in Baltimore and Washington mm-hmm. to call some other sports. And then really when Fox, uh, acquired the NFC, as we talked about earlier, you know, that, that was something that I never expected. Mm-hmm. And now it's been 28 years. Fox added baseball. I do some Knicks games with MSG. So I love the variety. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's hard. It, it's like apples and oranges yeah. between hockey and football. Um, Any you know, favorite game that you've done or moment? or Yeah, there there are a number of them. Um, you know, if I went by sport, it, ironically, the Batista, that, that bat flip and the home run, that's the one I get asked about most often, even mm-hmm. though I've probably done fewer baseball games than, than the other sports. But people remember that one because it was postseason. Um, in football... I worked a Sugar Bowl game. My partners were Howie Long and Terry Bradshaw. Yeah, so that one really cool. that one really stands out. Five NFL divisional playoff yeah. games. Uh, worked one Super Bowl, the international feed, the world feed. Uh-huh. Uh, Super Bowl Forty Six, the Giants and Patriots, the second of the recent right. Giant Patriots Super Bowls. Worked that one with Joe Theismann. Um, in hockey, you know there are so many memories. Um, before I worked in New York, called the Rangers Cup win in '94 for NHL radio along right. with Sherry Ross. Uh, so that was a huge thrill growing up in New York. And I was yeah. also a Canucks fan as a kid. And now the two teams are playing each other. Yeah. And I'm 26 and calling the Stanley Cup final. Uh, met my wife during that series. We would not have met if the Rangers had won game five. Wow. They were up 3-1 in the series. They lost. Mm-hmm. So I didn't go to a celebration, a cup party. I wound up meeting her later that night just by a, a total you know, set of circumstances. <laughs> right. That uh, you, know, you probably needed 20 different things to happen. Um, so the 94 Ranger Cup win calling the cup on TV for the first time last year, uh, Tampa Bay and Montreal. Uh, the five Olympics calling the women's gold medal game in, in 2018. That was a big thrill mm-hmm. when the U.S. beat Canada in the shootout. Um, the, the 2014 Blackhawks-Kings uh, Game 7 conference mm-hmm. final. Uh, the Rangers run to the final in 2014. So there are so many different memories yeah. out there um, as far as hockey goes. Uh, you know, we'll certainly add this... Uh, Winter Classic yeah, to the list for sure. Yeah, I know it's going to be uh, really cool for Wild fans to see as uh, well. This just also popped in my head. Lastly, now my fifth. Lastly, um, Marv Albert uh, favorite. Do you have a signature call of his that he's done? Because I know, like the one that I always hear in my head is the Jordan one, where right. he where he does the changeover, you know, uh, and and just he just goes yes, you know. Uh, there was also the one, the Jordan one, where he wasn't he the the play by play guy when uh, Jordan hit like the. The crazy amount of threes and turned to like magic and and you know did the uh, like you know I think when I watched that last dance documentary last year he was on most of those calls yeah. uh, for NBC the NBA and NBC um, you know I think the one that I always heard about as a kid was was the Willis Reed game in 1970 mm-hmm. he was doing the Knicks on radio game seven against the Lakers when uh, nobody thought Willis Reed was going to play in the game due to the injury yeah. and he hobbles out onto the court and hits the first two shots. Yeah. And they did a record album on that season. So I would always hear that call, here comes Willis onto the court. So that was, you know, from my early days as a youth. Um, but then I think, you know, he's mostly associated throughout the late 80s and early 90s with all the Bulls, Michael Jordan championships. Yeah. So yeah. those are certainly at, yeah. at the top of the list as well. He called hockey for over 30 years, yeah. uh, Rangers on the radio. He also did national in the 70s. He called the Stanley Cup final on the U.S. Yeah. national package a number of times. Uh, football on NBC, boxing on NBC. So 
But the basketball calls, the Bulls are the ones that stand out for sure. Amazing. Well, hey, uh, Kenny, have a great call. That's the one disappointment about being at the event is I won't get to watch you on TV. But, uh, but, uh, you know, I know that Wild fans are just going to absolutely love this, especially the ones that are in the comfort of their homes, listening to you and Keith and Panger and Jennifer Botterill and, and, you know, just to not have to be in that frigid minus whatever weather. So, uh, Kenny, as always, thanks a lot. Well, Mike, uh, always good to see you. Great to be here in the state of hockey. Uh, Looking forward to the game tomorrow night. And... uh, should be a lot of yeah. fun. I wish we can go get lunch at Ike's, but it's not there anymore. Your favorite restaurant, oh, the Twin I'm Cities. I'm so, so disappointed. <laughs> Every trip, I would always uh, head down to Ike's. It's right down the block yeah. from the hotel where I'm staying now. And I know there's still an Ike's out at the airport, yeah. so I'll have to yeah. catch it on the next remember trip. Remember that one just, uh, by the way, this 10-minute podcast has now gotten 25. But remember that one time like I was landing from somewhere and you were leaving? Yes. Like, I think you did a Vikings-Eagles game. Yep, we met up in the airport. <laughs> Like I landed when you were leaving and we met up and had lunch at Ike's. It's it's crazy. So, uh, or maybe it was dinner or something, but, uh, Hey, Kenny, as always, I really appreciate it. Thanks Mike. Yep. Well, thanks to Kenny Albert for joining. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Kenny. He's a good friend of mine. And uh, thanks for letting uh, letting me join in his palatial suite uh, in downtown Minneapolis at a local hotel there. And then I left that room, went downstairs, and I sat down in the lobby of the same hotel with TNT's Darren Pang and Keith Jones. Here is that. Well, happy to be joined by two of the most uh, experienced and well-known people in broadcasting and hockey broadcasting, uh, definitely, uh, Darren Pang and Keith Jones. And uh, you guys, uh, uh, Keith, I still remember, uh, uh, what, you played about 500 games for for uh, Colorado, for Philly, and for Washington. I still remember in 95-96, the uh, Andrew Burnett first goal of his NHL career was at Miami Arena. And I remember you had like, <laughs> I remember, I don't know why I remember this. I remember you had like 10 or 12 like minors in the game it felt like <laughs> no way yeah yeah i bet you if we look it up he had four or five minors in that you know game. there's a gordy howe hat trick yeah. and there's a keith jones hat trick yep. it's a goal and assist and three minor penalties <laughs> <laughs> and uh i mean it, honestly like i'm not kidding i remember it was something actually coincidentally it was gord murphy i think you and him got into it big time yeah, that game and I, it, I remember that game yeah. and i was probably going after gord because if paul loss was around yeah, at that yeah. time i did not want to go anywhere near him and neither yeah. did craig barubi that was uh that was Craig Berube's nemesis. Paul yeah. Loss got him a couple times. I, I that never happened to Chief, but yep. Paul Loss was a tough guy. Yeah, so, like why, that's why you didn't touch him then. <laughs> I tried to start the fight, yeah. but I didn't want to be around when I. Started. I still to this day keep in touch with Paul Laws and Peter Worrell, and those those characters on that Florida team guys were were unbelievable. And Darren Pang, uh, one of the biggest characters as well in in hockey forever. Um, played forever for the Blackhawks, right? A legend not, for the Blackhawks. Not forever. I played eighty one games. <laughs> and I managed to muster up a yep. whopping 27 wins. Yep. But you and Dean Evison have a history. Tell, we tell everybody that. Yeah. Dean Evison had his, he only had one penalty shot in his NHL career. It was at Chicago Stadium, Hartford Whalers and, and, uh, and the Hawks. I think it was, uh, I'll, I'll make it more dramatic, really close game, 1-1 one, one game, uh, third period, eight minutes to go, penalty shot, Everson goes down, he comes down the left side, he's a right-hand shot, I give him glove side, he bites, he nibbles, he takes it, I get the glove out there, stretched out, left leg, everything out, extended glove, it goes off the outside of the post, it looks like I made a great save, but really went out, and he knows it, and I know it, uh-huh. but I tell people that I got him with the glove, um, and then I, I don't know what happened after that, I yeah. think I set up a shorthanded game-winning goal to Wayne Presley to win it 2-1, to one. Uh, but I can barely remember it. <laughs> That's one of my nine career assists. Yeah. Um, did you really have nine? No, I no. did. Yeah. yeah, wow. I had nine. I Unbelievable. S- Hawk record in a season is, is mine, six, and then I had three the next year. 
That is crazy. I, I, I managed to, to get three. Keenan yeah. pulled me 13 times. I don't know how I had three assists. Yeah. Well, I was telling somebody a story last night about uh, the when Mike Keenan was fired in Florida. It was after a game in St. Louis where he pulled Luongo. I think it won nothing, and <laughs> he was he was the polemeister for yeah, uh, goalies. I had that one yeah. nothing, two nothing. Yeah. A minute and twenty eight seconds into a game at the Igloo in Pittsburgh, I was I was yanked. Yeah, it's uh, Mario scored. How, how did you feel about that? <laughs> I. Th- I kept my helmet. I kept my mask on for the longest time, thinking he was going to put me back in. Like I, for sure, I'm yeah. like Jonesy. He's going to put me back in, and he didn't. And I was furious. Lemieux scores off the faceoff. He's a pretty good player. Paul Coffey scores on a breakaway. I'm done. Yeah, done. yeah. That's Mike. That's what he would do. I mean, yeah. he did it with everybody. It was not a uh, personal thing against you. That's for sure. You know, I think it was. He yeah. did it against with some of the greats. You know what I always found fascinating about Keenan in Florida is that he loved Pavel Bure. Could do nothing wrong. Yet on the same team was Val Bure. Treated him like crap. Was on the we called it on we called it the um, God. What did we call it? It was Christian Huselius, Matt Cullen, and Val Bure, and we called it the Doghouse Line. And it was those oh, yeah. four, those three he despised. And well, Val Bure's knocked it out of the park. He's got yep. a great, great wine. Yeah, in Napa. Yeah, Val really Bure. good. Yep. Yeah, family, family wine. wines. Phenomenal. I just had a bottle the other night yeah. for Christmas night. It's unbelievable. I'll give you my address. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, uh, you know, again, this is com- this is uh, being released after the Winter Classic. But you guys, uh, you know, Keith got the prime gig. He's going to be up in the booth with Kenny Albert, Panger. Probably fittingly, because I think you were like the first ever behind, b- between the benches broadcaster in NHL history, right? In the Olympics, am I right about that? Or um, yeah, so well, you're, in the in 1998 in yeah. Nagano, John Shannon was the executive producer or whatever, and he put only only one person was allowed between the benches, and that was me. There's no glass between us. I would actually J- JD was up in as the main analyst and uh, up in the booth, and uh, I I literally heard Mark Crawford and the coaching staff tell his players who was up for the shootout against the Czech Republic wow. and I relayed it and I was like uh, I, I think I, I could probably go through the list I, Shanahan was last Theo Fleury Ray Bork Joe Neuendyke who else who's missing I'm missing somebody Gretz was, Gretz was actually Gretz was right beside me so I was here facing the ice and he was right there with his head like he's like you know it's nerve wracking time you know yeah. you know that oh yeah well, I don't know it to that level, but I, I can only imagine. <laughs> um, so you're going to be between the benches. Yeah. So uh, anyway, now they I, are giving you a heater, apparently, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think you know you mentioned the between the benches. I think the one, the most exhilarating one, was the first one in 2008. Um, I had a chance to be between the benches for that one. Greg Millen was on hockey night, mm-hmm. and Greg and I have known each other a long time. So he was on one side on the Pittsburgh side, and then I was on the no, he was on the Buffalo side, and I was on the Pittsburgh side. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we just had a blast together. I mean, right. it was so much fun. And, and I thought that if that's the, the, the first and only one I ever do, yep. I'd be just happier than a pig and you know what to, to do that game. Yeah. So and as it turns out, we've done a lot of them. And a lot of people think that it gets old. But once you get into the cities and you see it, it doesn't get old. It's yep. really, it's still great. Now, you are saying this on the eve of being down there on like minus 10 degrees, though. Now Let's get back to Jonesy yeah, going yeah. up there. because. <laughs> So yeah, what is so, that about? So Edzo, unfortunately, Edzo tests positive, and he's not, you know, he's not feeling great. So we get the phone call, and and I, and I get the call from Edzo, and I'm thinking something's up here. I, I knew it right away, and then I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to be warm. I'm going to go up there. Yeah. So then I get a call from from Kevin Brown and from our, our executives, <laughs> and I, I'm like. Yeah, it's going to be warm up there. It's going to be great. They're like, no, Jonesy's going to go up there. You're going to go down between the benches. 
So Jonesy, who's younger than me too, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he should be the one down there paying the yeah, fiddle. Yeah, he's down a there. little bigger too, so he yeah, could probably got, handle well, the cold. For sure, he's got more. a little bit more chunkiness <laughs> to him down there. <laughs> I hibernate during the winters, as you know. <laughs> well, when I campaigned for the Wild to finally get a winter classic, I made sure first that we were going to be in the press box that's heated. So I was not going to be one of those like writers out in auxiliary right field press box. No way. Uh, I, I will say I watched the 2008 one and Panger did an unbelievably good job down there. So I'm kind of supportive of the decision. Yeah. How much, you know, you guys both, I mean, you know, I think one of the, it, 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 Panger, you always do such a great job on national TV. We've seen Jones do national TV for many years. Now you're back. You know, uh, Jones, he does Flyers games. You do Blues games. But he's gotten that side gig uh, also. How, how nice is it for you to be back on national TV? Because it looks like you haven't missed a beat. And I know fans in hockey are really yeah. excited. It's, it's a, honestly, it's a complete honor to get the yeah. call again. You know, you never know in this business where you're going to end up. An executive producer likes you, doesn't like you. Somebody likes you, doesn't like you. Somebody likes your style, somebody doesn't like your style. Yeah. I think over time, I'm probably a better broadcaster now than I was at the beginning anyway. I, I do, I believe that. I think I'm a lot more calm under certain situations and, and I still have the energy to, to mm-hmm. do it. But I wasn't sure a little bit ago if I really wanted to stay in this business. And and so when this opportunity came up and I got that call from TNT, it just felt right. I yeah. think for all of us, it just, it, it seems like a, and it is, and it has been a real small, tight knit family. Yeah. The, I mean, when I when I accepted the job, I, I tell people I got FaceTime by by Charles Barkley, and it was just the coolest thing. <laughs> and all he said was, "Little fella, welcome to the family." <laughs> and I I thought, you know, that, that that's kind of yeah. uh, the glue. And I yeah. think that's Wayne does that in the studio, yeah. and 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 their studio the studio show is outstanding, and they're having fun. On uh, Jonesy, yeah. like you did the studio for a long time. It's hard to manufacture fun, I and mean, they're doing it. Yeah, they're doing a great job. And I will say, Mike, that the the first time I ever did national television, Darren Pang was sitting beside me, and thank God he was. Yeah. Because I was dying. I was sweating through my suit. It was not a comfortable situation for me on ESPN. And uh, Panger walked me through it, gave me plenty of advice, and was just... I mean, I, I don't know that I would have had the opportunity to continue in television if he wasn't standing beside me. So he, he had a major influence on yeah. me. Yeah. Jonesy? Yeah. Keith, like, uh, oh, like you, you can go up. Okay. You yeah. can go up in the warm booth again. I'll <laughs> stay down below. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> the way to kiss butt there. Um, but Keith, you know, I, I don't think that a lot of players like that, you know, play at a high level realize it is a different animal. Put that earpiece in. You got somebody talking in your ear. It is not, you know, to get out a thought, not trip over the play by play. I mean, it is yeah. a hard job yeah it, it really there's a lot that goes into it um some guys are naturally unbelievably good after they retire they step in front of that microphone and step, step in front of the camera and everything just flows but there's a lot of things that uh, you need other people's advice on help with um number one you have to love the game mm-hmm. i mean that's the most important thing but having uh, good advice good people to work for and being a good teammate i mean being Part of a team is one of the attributes you can kind of use to your advantage because you played on one and you're on one again. And that's kind of a nice thing. You're still involved in the game. So it's it's an awesome experience. Happy to be able to do it. How is it? You know, what's what's kind of cool about the evolution of broadcasting? Jones, you've you've got to be 20 years in this now, right? Yeah. At least. Right. Yeah. yeah, 21 or 22 now. Yeah. Is is the beginning of it. When I first started, I mean, I was I mean, I idolized John Davidson. You know, I saw a Sports Illustrated article. 
how he had a satellite dish, how he had a fax machine, how he had this, what he did. And, and so that was my idol in, you know, as I watched a lot of different broadcasters and, and analysts. And at that time, I was always so amazed. He knew all these, he knew all the guys, he knew the GMs, he knew the presidents, mm-hmm. he knew the coaches. I had just retired as a 26-year-old. And so when I started ESPN, I was 29. I knew all the players. They were the guys that I would, my go-to was not listening to a coach. I I sloughed off more coaches and went right in that locker room. And I got something in that locker room. And then as time goes on, now all those same guys are managers and presidents and and coaches. And, and, you know, now, so you're always, for a 40-year period, 50-year period, you can have longevity because you have the contacts. Yeah. Yep. You know? That's one, how I feel as a writer. Yeah. It's the same, right? Yeah. The one thing I will say in television, even in the last 20 years, post-game shows, pre-game shows on all the regional networks, mm-hmm. uh, intermission reports. When I started doing Flyers games, it was just a post-game show, and it lasted about 15 minutes. And now the game is surrounded by every team has their broadcasts surrounded by a lot of different guys talking, a lot of information, and the fans can kind of get a a, a whole evening of hockey when they tune in, and I think that's something that's been really important as well. 15 minutes, because that's how long Al Morgani could stay awake? Yeah, I watched him (laughs) last night. He had a tough time. Al's Al's an icon. Yeah. Al's an icon. When I I first got in this league, Al was like one of those people you just instantly respected and miss him and doing hockey. I I think on national TV, ESPN was the first to really use a writer, 100%. right? Yeah, in the corner. In, for in the corner, I'm Al Morgan. <laughs> yeah, yep, absolutely. And he's I mean, still a radio guy in Philly, yeah, everything, he is, right? Yep. Yeah, and he's still yep. doing flyers, pre- and yeah. post-game yep. shows as well. With yep. Are you doing that radio with him still? I do. Yeah, yeah I still do that twice yeah. a week. Yep, yeah, twice a week. Keith, just um, how the studio... Just find would, out, uh, before you go any further, <laughs> how many... How many pockets get filled for you? Okay, hold on. Let's do this again. Open one more. I heard you got a deal for me tomorrow. Yeah, what is so that I'm deal? Absolutely. What is that? I You'll be able to feed the horses again this week. Uh, yeah, uh, right before the podcast, uh, Darren was negotiating something. So pretty cool. Um, Keith, I'm in the studio with TNT. You're yep. with uh, really cool people as well. Uh, you know, a lot of the same people you're with with NBC now at TNT. How How is it working with guys like Gretzky and Bizanasty and all you, those guys? You know what? I, luckily, you know. Talk. For us, we have guys that have kind of done everything. For uh-huh. Biz, he's got complete control of the universe. I mean, he's done an incredible <laughs> job it's in crazy. his post-playing career. Um, he is extremely popular, and he does a fabulous job. He's he. I, I'm so impressed by all the different things that he can do. He's made the show a lot funnier. Anson's done a really good job coming over. Talk has got a wealth of experience, not just as a player that was extremely respected for the way that he played, but uh, he's got good information from yeah. coaching, and you know that well, Panger. And then we've got the greatest player to ever play the game. Finally, we've got that in to, Yeah, which is just <laughs> awesome. So yeah. uh, when I'm doing games with Edzo and Kenny, I'm listening to the pregame show, I'm listening to the intermissions, I'm listening to the postgame show because I want to hear what those guys have to say. Right. And it's not highlights, it's just those guys talking hockey and some stories that they can relate to the fans. I, I think yeah. it's a great format. Yeah. Um, guys, just lastly on, on the, I mean, again, the game's going to, this podcast is going to come out after the games, but we were talking when I ran to you guys in the, in the mall over there about what it's going to be like with the cold air and what could happen with equipment and things like that. Um, first of all, Darren, as, as a former goalie, 
Like it, it will it will guys like Talbot and Bennington be able to just sort of shake it off? I mean, they're not going to be skating every shift. They're not the backup goalie sitting next to the heater on the bench. I mean, how how hard will that be for these guys? That that's still to be determined. Uh, I would have to think that it's it's going to be pretty difficult. If you've got the wind conditions, if it's calm and it's and it's uh, minus two or plus two you got a fighting chance. It's when that wind bites you, when that wind gets in your eyes, um, one, one burst of a good wind in, and you're, and you now you got a little blurry vision. Now you're a little unsettled or you look up and you, and the lights are a little different. Uh, you're, you know, one, one thing like one, one little element like that could offset you, but the coldness, you, you don't want to overlayer. you like, you're still playing goal. Like, you know, yeah. you're, you know, like, um, it's not like playing golf out in, in Scotland where you, you've got to have three or four layers because you've got to survive the wind and the rain and whatever. You can't put all that underneath your equipment. Mm-hmm. Like, your equipment is form-fitted to you. So, so that's going to be the difficult thing for these guys. I wouldn't want to take a, 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 a slap shot off the uh, end of the stick that vibrates your hand. I wouldn't want to take one on the tip of the fingers yeah. right off the hop. So, I, But yeah. the player is the same thing. Jonesy, you're gonna, these guys are going to block a shot, get one in the back of the leg. It's not, no, they're not going to block I, a shot? I would not block a shot. <laughs> Maybe some of them will block a shot. I guarantee you, on the uh, defensive zone faceoff, I would jump into the circle on purpose so the centerman would get kicked out, and I could go in and take the faceoff just in case he lost that draw. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's smart. A, a, a thousand percent guarantee that would happen, yeah. especially if Al McGinnis was sitting back there getting ready to blast one yeah. yeah was it not in Edmonton where the puck broke in half I don't remember I don't know about that Montreal I, Edmonton yeah, yeah. I remember seeing it I'm not sure which yeah. game it was yeah. I've, uh, I've told the story on my uh, on a couple shows lately but I have a cousin Andrew Prochna that played at St. Cloud State but was he was for jun- played junior at Sioux Falls this is 11 years ago 10 years ago he went viral it was like on Today's show, CNN and everything, because he took a shot from the point and the puck hit the uh, hit the post and cracked in like that's four or five awesome. pieces. And that's, it'll happen, you know. And that's the that's the thing. Like it's you know they heat the ice to keep it at a, a sweet spot, but the big question is the pucks. You know, like how like if you get that too, you know, too uh, too frozen or not enough. I mean, it's going to be interesting. There's going to be a sound that we're going to hear early yeah. on, and of course that'll be my job freezing down below. I'll let Jonesy know while he's nice and warm and yeah. by the fireplace roasting marshmallows up there with Kenny Albert. Yeah. And I'll let him know that there's a different sound down here with the yeah. puck yeah. hitting the stick. Yeah. And and also the sticks. Yeah. This so cold. They're going to they're going to Yeah. yeah. You, you well, hear the slash yeah. and the, what happens maybe. Yeah. 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 A lot of well, the wild the equipment guys are worried about knee guards, the uh, Talbot's neck guard sticks. I mean, you know, these things could crack and so they got a ton of extra stuff. And it's not like a, you know, you're at XL Energy center that you can run to the back i mean they're gonna have to have a lot of stuff out there that's gonna be freezing and you know it's gonna be really well, there's, interesting there's target stores all over the place yeah right? exactly just go to there it's like a whole so, center here. yeah yeah every well, rink's named target center yeah exactly <laughs> um hey guys uh, uh, you know really appreciate you, you doing this uh and darren playing uh Dar- darren's doing the whole uh interview process he's here he's like a professional <laughs> yep, one mic yeah yeah and darren's about to get accosted by a bunch of blues with, fans by the way we're with one, one mic <laughs> That's right. Mike's got his athletic hat on over there. It's a little sideways. Yeah, huh? yeah I know. We I, should let the people know how this is looking over here. Yeah, huh? exactly. And by hey, the way, you guys do a great job with yeah, the athletic. Thanks. And I know as broadcasters, we we do snag a lot of in, you know stories, yeah. ideas. Um, and I know we always give it to you guys a little bit, uh, a little bit on Jones. Well, yeah. we have to. That's yeah. Yeah. We have to. Yeah, we have to do that. But 
same time, we'd like, yeah. to, you know, at the same time, say thank you. Well, when we were in Arizona a couple months ago, you were really kind to me on the broadcast, and my, my Twitter account blew up that I was getting a shout-out from Panger during the thing. It was the Doham story. So, uh, you know, really appreciate it. So, guys, have a great time tomorrow. Darren Pang, Keith Jones, uh, thanks for joining. Thanks, Mike. Glad yep. to do it. Yeah, appreciate thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Take care. It. My thanks to Darren Pang and Keith Jones. Just a blast sitting with them. I could have done that for hours. Uh, they were just so much fun. Um, another person I could have sat with down with with hours was Mike Rupp, by the way. Uh, you know, we went about 28 minutes, which you'll hear in the next little bit. And uh, honestly, it could have gone like five hours and 28 minutes. It was so, so, so good. Um, but first, uh, somebody I respect, somebody I've known a long time, a really good friend of mine. I almost moved into her building in Hoboken, New Jersey about five or six years ago, and I almost... Here's a little breaking news. Took a job there um, and uh, wound up obviously not taking that job. And that brought me to The Athletic eventually. Um, but, uh, you know, somebody that I used to do TV with here in Minnesota on Bally Sports North, it's Jamie Hirsch of the NHL Network. She's just so, so good and talented at her job. And it was just a blast to sit down with an old friend. But first, let's take a quick break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. So happy to be joined by uh, Jamie Hirsch. It's like getting the band back together. You being in Minnesota, this is where you're supposed to be, Jamie. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. I feel like that too. I I am very honest when I say I just was walking through the bowels of Target Field and I got <laughs> teary eyed because yeah. I haven't been back in so long since I worked here. Actually, yeah. I don't think I've been you know behind the scenes at Target Field since then. And so to be back where I spent so many of my formative years as a journalist uh, is really something special uh, to see some of the old. People, whether it's security guards or uh, a lot of the ushers at the Target Field events, um, it's going to be really special. Now, you have a couple different roles during this weekend. One for NHL Network, and two, you're working with Anthony LaPanta doing radio. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, and, and Ryan, Ryan Carter. Carter now, so it yeah. really is truly getting the band back together, uh, Jamie. So, so first of all, today, which is uh, we're recording this on the day of the practices, the family skates and things like that, you mm. are dressed in a gazillion <laughs> layers because you are on the field in the uh, super cold, at least it's not going to be as cold as tomorrow, but we could talk uh, about that in a second. But yeah. <laughs> your role today uh, and what people are going to see on NHL Network. Yeah, so my role today uh, being New Year's Eve, it's the day before, and it's basically just previewing the main event, which is, of course, New Year's Day. And so uh, we're going to be doing some one-on-one -on -one interviews. I think I'm talking to Cam Talbot after uh, the wild practice here and going to, of course, got to learn all about his goalie gear and the <laughs> yeah. mask that I actually saw on your Twitter that was amazing looking. Um, and Kevin Weeks will be with me and we're 
we're going to actually be doing a really cool drone video with the yes. NHL that should be really amazing. And then um, we are going to just be previewing the big big game tomorrow. Um, so tonight on NHL Tonight and on the fly as it airs throughout the night and into the day tomorrow um, on New Year's Day, I should say, um, is going to be just, yeah, showing the nation what they can expect to see on New Year's Day at Target Field. Right, which you appreciate probably more than anybody on NHL Network just being uh, from here and, and, and the surrounding areas as yeah. well. Um, and then tomorrow working with Anthony and Ryan and then obviously doing NHL Network as well. Mm, yeah, so it's actually at Sports USA Radio is okay. the, now the national radio affiliate of the NHL. And so um, we'll be doing the game and it's so exciting. As soon as I saw Anthony was doing it, I, <laughs> I thought I'm not even nervous anymore because he's just going to make it so fun and natural and conversational. Yeah. But even though I've never never actually done a radio broadcast before. Um, I think it'll just be really fun and really natural to get right back into that reporting role and uh, be doing you know intermission interviews and certainly some hits throughout the game as well. So you will be down on the field tomorrow. Yes. Now I am uh, <laughs> lobbying hard to be going out briefly for a quick hit and then coming back and then running out for an intermission interview and then coming back inside. I will be trying to stay inside as much as possible. But that's why you said I'm dressed yeah. to the nines because, I mean, seriously, I had, I came with my husband and two young kids kids a few days early to spend time with family uh -huh. but we had to pack an extra bag just for all my winter gear and i still borrowed <laughs> boots and snow pants from my aunt and my cousin who live here because it's just I, i'm that nervous which is bad yeah. right i shouldn't be so soft i grew up here i should be used <laughs> to this but it's still when they say sub-zero yeah. temps and you know maybe up to 40 below wind chill that is enough to scare me a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> now, you, with your role also just being, you've now, it's crazy how long you've been with NHL Network. How many years now? This is my seventh season. It's amazing. I know. I yeah. never really thought that we would stay in Hoboken, New Jersey, where yeah. we live this long. I almost and moved in your building that's once. That's right. Yes. And we're still in that building. <laughs> yeah, we've lived yeah. in a one bedroom, a two bedroom, and now a three bedroom because we just keep having more kids. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but we love the building. Um, and yeah, we it really has become home. Um, the, the only thing that really is missing is family. And it, we yeah. still have no family anywhere nearby. And so whenever we do get to come back to Minnesota, it really is special and still feels like home to me. Yeah. Um, and you, so because you've been with the NHL, you get to go to all of these incredible events. Yeah. I mean, you've done everything, uh, every big event. You've been to a ton of outdoor games, winter classics. Uh, just looking at this field and the job that Steve Mayer and his incredible staff have done, uh, where does this rank in terms of optics and and all that stuff that you're seeing out there? Because it so looks like Minnesota to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm biased, but I think this is the uh, best winter classic that they've ever put on because of how much they've really tried to brand it to the nation and really to the world as Minnesota hockey and what the state of hockey truly looks like and truly means. And so with all the auxiliary pond hockey rinks out there in the outfield and of course even the skyline of Minneapolis I think people who are watching around the the country and around the world are going to be struck by how big of a city Minneapolis looks because I think a lot of people still think about Minneapolis or Minnesota rather as like cornfields and hockey ponds or whatever. Right. And, and that's it. And it's like, no, we're, we have a vibrant art scene. We have incredible restaurant scene and this huge city skyline right here at Target Field that you can see um, that'll be so beautiful uh, and on display for the world to see. Absolutely gorgeous. It's It really does look amazing. But this um, is the first time I think they've had to heat the ice at right. a Winter Classic. I it's mean, this crazy. is crazy. Yeah, I mean, they have these two inline heaters yeah. in there that essentially are getting going to raise the temperature of the ice to get it up Insane. because there has to be if it gets too cold it gets too brittle too brittle and it, it, I mean that to me is just it boggles my mind yes um, how much uh, will you miss Bruce Boudreaux at NHL Network I honestly I text <laughs> with him a lot as yeah. I know you do too yeah. because he's such a media darling yeah. and he was such a natural fit at NHL Network I worked with him one of his first shows there and um, I mean he was so funny because 
I was a little nervous, like, oh, it's the great Bruce Boudreaux, et cetera. <laughs> you know, and he was like, I'm the rookie here. You have to lead the way. And so it was just an instant friendship. Yeah. And he's such a great guy, as you know. And I, I texted him as soon as I saw the news that he got the Canucks job. And I said, I will be rooting for the Canucks yeah. the rest of the way because of you. And he said something to the effect of, well, I don't know how long this will last, but I hope that I'm working with you at NHL Network when this is all said and done or something. <laughs> so like, he's just so humble yeah. and just enjoying the ride because he really didn't think that he might have another shot yeah. at a head coaching gig in the NHL. No and doubt. we had talked a lot about it this summer. Yeah. And so for him to land a job and especially to have the start that he's had is just amazing. Yeah. As you know, I'm an NHL Network junkie. It's the <laughs> only thing that's ever on in my house, uh, literally, if, unless I'm watching like Curb Your Enthusiasm or something. Um, how proud are you just, you know, like it, I know it wasn't in its infancy when you went there, but it, it kind of was. Yeah. Um, you know, how proud are you just what it's grown into? Um, the, you know, the the talent that you have there, the behind the scenes, and that the fact that you've been there throughout this process. I am really proud. And I, I think, too, um, I don't know that this was necessarily intentional, but by moving the NHL Network to MLB Network and thereby putting it in the United States, located here, I think the network has grown exponentially among American hockey fans and not just making hockey a Canadian sport, but really a North American sport and a global game too. Mm -hmm. They're certainly trying that, but because we're based in New York, you know, we're not in Toronto and they, as much as they may try up there in Toronto to be about all 32 mm -hmm. teams, it's a little leaf centric. When you get up there, you start listening to the radio stations up there. And, and even though if they're national radios, they're, they're focused on Canada and here NHL Network in the States, I feel like we do a, a much better job of covering not only U.S. teams, but specifically Western Conference teams and teams like the Sharks on their run to the cup final a few years back and the Predators. And, you know, last year with the Cotton Bowl being the site or two years ago for the, the Winter Classic at the Cotton Bowl. Um, I know that's the NHL. It is a big focus for the NHL is to really try to grow the game in some of these less traditional hockey markets. And um, I think we've done a good job of doing that just by virtue of being a lot of Americans mm -hmm. um, in at NHL Network and, and truly growing the game from right. that level. I think I'm going to have him on this podcast later, but Mike Rupp, yeah. what is it like working with Rupper? Because oh, I got to cover Rupper and it was yes. honestly, I did um, too. not a long time, but it was like, it was like, I don't know what it was, but I always seem to get along with the fighters and, and uh, <laughs> not that he was just a fighter because he scored some huge goals in his career, including in yeah. the playoffs. Yeah. Um, but, Cup but, final. You know, he is just such a great guy. And I just feel like the, what he has grown into being a, Oh my gosh. Quality, uh, well cadenced, if that's a good yeah. right the word. Yeah. I mean, like I enjoy listening to him on this. He is so thoughtful yeah. in what yeah. he says There's and the breakdowns <laughs> that he <laughs> the, the breakdowns that he brings to the table and the way that he sees the game and is able to then explain it. You know, I think a lot of it speaks to the idea that he is a coach too of his son's hockey team mm -hmm. for a long time. So he knows how to explain hockey to kind of an average listener out there. Um and and because you know we have tools like telestrate and we can do breakdowns because we have time to do mm -hmm. that on NHL tonight. Um, he really shines in that role. And he has certainly become one of our stars. I mean, when I first yeah. worked with him too, I remember thinking like, this guy was like a fourth liner on the wild. Like I didn't really know much about Mike Rupp other than he was kind of scary to me. And I told him <laughs> this. And then when we worked together, I'm like, this guy is hilarious. We ended up rapping ludicrous at like two in the morning waiting for a late west coast yeah. game to end and we were just dying laughing and now i mean that was six and a half years ago and now we're very good friends um he's at all of our main events and like you said he's certainly developed as a broadcaster yeah. um so much so and and 
the more you talk to some of his former teammates, they'll tell you they're not surprised at all that he is a natural fit on TV because he was always a great storyteller in the locker room. Yes. And, excuse me, that totally translates. So yeah. he's great. I can't wait for him to be a guest. At your yeah, podcast. He, it'll be really cool. So um, at NHL Network, do they have technical difficulties? Like you might have had a Fox Sports North with yours truly. Like anything ever <laughs> happened like that oh, on there? Oh, with the microphone falling yeah, down. Yeah, you were was, such a pro though. See? I don't know. I still get, honestly, wake up in the middle of the night at <laughs> times okay, and just like heart palpitating, <laughs> oh, sweat gosh. coming down. Was that one of your first TV spots I think too? it was like, I think <laughs> it was the first time that you, it wasn't one of my first TV spots but it was definitely like one of the first times that I was on with you. Okay. And what happened was is that they used to have what they called Madonna oh, mics, yeah, right? Yeah. They're, they're like mics that honestly like oh, they're they, terrible. They attach to your they're ears. Like, they're like almost metal like bars. Yeah. And they attach always... your ears and they feel like if you move an inch, they're mm-hmm. gonna fall off. And <laughs> right when they put the sa- the sound guy put it on me before our hit on Fox Sports North in the pregame show, I did not feel like it was on fast yeah. and tight. And I was trying not to even look at you because I was so worried it was going to come off. But <laughs> and then I'm thinking, I, what's wrong with this Russo guy? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so I have the earpiece in and and the earpiece is like attached to the yep. thing too. It's it was just messed a disaster. up together. And so I'm trying not to look at you, but then I also re- like am now super self conscious that it's so obvious to the people watching at home that I'm not even <laughs> cheating toward you. And I feel it as you're asking my the first question. This thing just pop right off my oh head. Oh my gosh! And now I have no mic on. Yep. And it's a three minute interview, and I'm like inching my chair now, almost close to closer to Jamie. She I had to know. be like, "What the hell is going yeah. on here?" Because I'm like trying to scream <laughs> in your mic. And I, the oh. only thing I remember is we get done with this, and like everybody in my ear was sort of like apologizing, like, "Sorry, this is absolutely humiliating." And I get a text from my brothers, like, "Hey, great segment, but you got to tell them that we couldn't hear you." Oh my like, gosh! Uh, yeah, that's because yeah. I had no mic on. No kidding. Yeah, you were no Mike Russo. Yeah, it was it was absolutely <laughs> terrifying. Just that's a so horrible, funny. horrible feeling. Yeah, and that's the beginning of our friendship. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we um, just roll with it. Yeah. What's the like, the weird like? What is like? Is there been an embarrassing moment on TV for you or anything like that? Or are you just a, are you just such a pro that nothing ever goes wrong? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't <laughs> say that, but I would say that everyone I work with is such a pro that mm-hmm. it doesn't really like mistakes don't happen as often as you might think. However, there are times where, um, you know, we might be going to break or something and then all of a sudden something happens and there's a change in direction or something. So then that's, I mean, that's like the most flustered I really can ever get is if a plan just suddenly changes Mm -hmm. because we need to go show a goal that just happened in Florida or something. Um, but I, I go back to my days with the twins. That was definitely the most rattled I've ever been is because it was the summer of Gatorade baths for the sideline reporter. I don't even remember that, but that was yeah. like a, a trend around Major League Baseball to like target the sideline reporter only and yeah. make those videos go viral. And I was working like 100 twins games a year at the time. So I was doing the vast majority of them. And it was a thing that it was like, even and this was a 90 loss twins team. This is not like they're celebrating yeah. like clinching a postseason spot. They were just celebrating a random win because it happened so irregularly yeah. at the time. And they would give me a Gatorade bath and it just became this whole thing. And I, I don't know. I mean, I learned to be better about like <laughs> noticing if they were coming, but it that was the only thing that really yeah. threw me off a few times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember when Gorg used to get him, I used to love oh, it. Oh man. Um Jamie, lastly, I just uh, you know, you again, you you're 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 from here. You are like I when you even mention the Minnesota Wild on TV, I can almost see that there is just still <laughs> that sparkle. extra little sparkle <laughs> that like this is my team. Yeah. So like uh, you know, how happy like you, you, this team has seemed to tur- turn a corner. Uh-huh. They got a True star and Kaprizov. Yeah. They look like they are, you know, up until really their schedule went haywire here with seven games 
postponed, yeah, not right. to their doing. I and, know it's been. Yeah, a I mean, tough but it looks like they have turned the corner. That this could be a true contender for many years. They got a bright prospect pool. All this stuff. Like how how exciting would it be for this market and for you as even a wild fan to just see them do? It's, I know you got to be objective. No, but, I, I mean I really don't. That's the yeah. thing is like I always tell people that really we're fans first, right? right. Like people that yeah we're journalists and, and I'm still going to cover all 32 teams equally. And as I've been away, you know you become fans of, of certain players, not necessarily certain teams, um, because you're like oh that guy's a really good guy or that guy was a really nice interview or whatever. But that being said, I mean I am a fan first, and I mm-hmm. think that as long as I'm transparent about that, I think the viewers can all respect that. Oh, she's from Minnesota, of course she's a wild fan, and that's okay. Um, so I'm still very much open about being a total homer. And so to answer your question, <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited. And of course, everyone around the office in New Jersey comes over to me all the time. Is like, how about your wild? How about Minnesota? You think they're real for real this year? And Kevin Weeks always gives me a hard time about it because um, he's <laughs> called them the mild for years. Yeah. Minnesota the mild. Yep. Well, this year on the air, he actually said the other night when we were on together, he's like, James, I think I think they're the wild again. I think they're back to that wild team that we've always been waiting for. So that yeah. I'm as a burnt Minnesota fan, that's somebody that's been jaded, you know, after years of of hardship and heartache with all of our professional sports teams, I'm going to say I am cautiously optimistic about yeah. this year's wild team. Yeah, well, hopefully they can stay healthy. Hopefully they get their they get to reschedule these games. It's just cr- every yeah. day it's just another one postponed and they haven't even they've been the one team that's basically been healthy all yeah, year. Yeah, I know. Of, yeah. It's really hard to get Which on the run. Which actually is scarier. Like I hate to say it like this, like yeah. wild fans are already going to kill me. But like with the 90-day testing holiday if you get catch positive you almost want to get it out of the way that's i like, know you gotta feel it's like cr- at some point the wild are gonna get bit and it could happen really at the worst let's time, hope so. not russo exactly. let's hope not <laughs> yep, there i am there you go yeah. wild fans i'm so, um, jamie as always my best to matt and my best to your whole family Thank your you. awesome dad everything <laughs> yeah, Thank you so just, much yeah uh, it's just always great to see you and have a lot of fun these next couple days yeah. i wish i could be on the field with you yeah oh i'm sure you really <laughs> wish you'd be on the field with me in 20 below yeah exactly. uh, <laughs> well thanks. nice to see you yeah thanks jamie bye and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. My thanks to Jamie Hirsch, and let's go right into one of her colleagues at NHL Network, a uh, former Wild player, longtime NHLer, a really interesting guy, somebody I wound up uh, going to my cigar club with the other day, um, Mike Rupp. Well, thanks uh, to Mike Rupp for joining uh, NHL Network's Mike Rupp. Uh, I knew him when he was a player. One of his uh, uh, many of his 610 games happened right here uh, in Minnesota for the Minnesota Wild, and I still remember being at the bar in Phoenix watching Chuck Fletcher pace on the uh, like patio, like uh, like you just knew he was up to something, <laughs> and then like moments later. They trade Daryl Powell, and I think it was Nick Palmieri, yeah, uh, yeah. to the New York Rangers for Mike Rupp. 
Yeah, man, it was, um, you know, it was, it, I was, I was pumped at that time. Um, you know, I got to be reunited with a, a good friend in Zach, um, Parisi, obviously, and in coming here, I didn't really know what to expect in Minnesota, but I love every second of being here. Chuck Fletcher and the organization were first class through and through, and uh, it feels good to be back here now. I forgot a little bit; my my blood got a little thinner since yeah. I uh, since I was here last time. But the temperatures get to me a little bit now. But uh, I love Minnesota, and it's great to finally see him with an outdoor game. Yeah, I uh, I ran it, I ran into you last night on the streets of Minneapolis. Uh, no hat, no gloves, no, no earmuffs, <laughs> a light jacket. And you were like walking, like honestly, like eight or nine blocks, and uh, you looked frozen. I, I, I was frozen. Uh, <laughs> so you know, it, I, I think that's the big thing today. Is uh, it's just like the players, right? They're getting ready for the game, trying out what are we going to need as far as we're under our gear. On, on this side of it now, it's like I'm going to go try to scounger up as many hats and maybe jackets that I can find today. I don't know. It's going to yeah. be cold. Yeah, and uh, you'll see, uh, and this podcast will run next week, but you'll see Mike on uh, in right field today with the rest of the NHL Network crew. Uh, Winter Classics, old hat for you, um, or outdoor games as well. Uh, you had a couple goals against the uh, was the Penguins uh, for the New York Rangers, and uh, kind of created a little controversy there in that game, didn't you? Uh, yeah, a little bit. A uh, fun-loving controversy. Yeah, so I was fortunate enough to be in two. The 2011 was... At Heinz Field in Pittsburgh against Washington, I was playing with the Penguins. And then the next year, in 2012, I was with the Rangers playing against Philly. So it was Philly. in Philly, Citizens Absolutely. Bank Park. And, uh, yeah, we're in, that, <laughs> we're in that game. And, I mean, you know, you covered me and, you know, I don't score many goals, right? So it's like <laughs> I think a lot of people ask, hey, did you plan that? Did you plan the Yager salute? And no, I I didn't <laughs> score enough to plan it. Like <laughs> you yeah, know what yeah. I mean. But I I knew that going in that game it was a big game for us. It was a big rivalry that year. And uh, you know I was at that point in my career where I kind of really loved being in that position of kind of being a I guess a villain to some degree, if mm -hmm. you if you will, like just to just to go in there in an opponent's building and, and get people to to boo you or the other team to be upset with you and come at you. That's that's good because then they're not focusing on what their game plan sh probably should be, right? right. So, uh, so I think that was more the mindset. Like I'm out there, we're down in that game two nothing. I think yeah, I think it was two nothing. We were down and I, I scored. Um, my first goal in the game I scored and it just happened right like I just did the Yager salute and I remember the rest of the game <laughs> all the guys Scotty Hardnell Claude Giroux everybody was you know at you know Yags is on the team and yeah. he was actually hurt at that point in the game so he wasn't playing he had a, a groin issue but he's still on the bench and uh how disrespectful, you know, and this, and I'm like, come on, guys, like disrespectful, like you know, how do you know? Maybe yeah. it was, maybe I was giving them homage there. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I don't know that, but it, it was, it was funny because late in the game, I remember um, we ended up uh, going up on them, or it was even tied. It was tied two two, and um, I'm lined up for a faceoff, and Claude Giroux's taking the draw, and he's. The ref's getting ready to drop the puck, the linesman, and he's not even looking at the puck. He's just yelling at me, telling me, oh, that's embarrassing. How would you make fun? I'm like, this is perfect. I did my job here. Yeah. You know, I wasn't going to necessarily uh, influence the game uh, a lot of ways on some nights, but this was one way I could, and I was fortunate enough to score. But, yeah, I took some heat from that, uh, but, you know, I was – Always groomed to not like the Flyers, so it was a good yeah. platform there. And then you scored the winning goal? Uh, I got the first two goals. First two goals, it, and then, right. Uh, 
Brad Richards got the winner. Yeah, no wonder Claude was real all ticked off there <laughs> at you. You loved. I mean, we, you, a lot of your career was off face us. I mean, you've talked before about how uh, you know a lot of times on draws you'll sit there and and kind of lean into guys that just sort of feel like how how they're if they're engaged that night. Yeah, I think that's a good way of doing it because like you know it's a two game season and there's nights where you just it. It's hard to say that like you're excited to play in the NHL all the time. But, you know, when you play it and you're, and you're playing so much, there's some nights where you just don't feel like you have that edge, right? So you kind of got to go out there. You got to manufacture something. or you. But also you want to see who, the, the other guy on the other side is feeling the same thing. You know, it's very hard for guys to go 82 games of just tenacious, you know, up and down hockey. And so I like to always line up on faceoffs and lean on a guy. And you can kind of get some body language from him. What is he going to do? Is he just going to, like kind of like shrug you off is he going to push you back is he going to just take it is he going to let me you know you always see guys jockeying for ice before faceoff starts that's more of like hey I- i'm going to step on your side of the red line here Let's see if you're okay with it you mm-hmm. know and if he doesn't do anything you're like oh i'm just going to do this all night and it gives you obviously an advantage of winning the faceoff and uh you know that that was an area <laughs> that uh, you know guys can kind of get a gauge on maybe where guys mindsets are going in that's pretty awesome. You never think about stuff like that, uh, the, the, ga- the game in, in the game, uh, when you're watching from the safe confines of a press box and you're seeing, like, you're kind of wondering, you're like, why are they just leaning up against each other? And there's a good reason. It's pretty see, interesting. You know, I yeah. mean, you gotta, you, you know, it's, not, it's not necessarily about fighting. It's yeah. not about necessarily that. Just to see, like, is this guy really here tonight? Yeah. You know, yeah, is he makes fully sense. here? So. Yeah, it makes absolute sense. You uh, Another uh, big face-off moment in your career is the big line brawl that you had with Ryan Carter on your side um, and uh, Cam Jansen. It was against, if I remember, it was Stu Bickle. So, yeah, I was on the Rangers with okay, Bickle, right, yep, Bickle. Bickle and Prust. Right. And then it was and against Jan- Jansen, Carter Jansen. Bolton. Bolton. Yeah. And who took the draws, if I remember? It was it, <laughs> Bix. Yeah, it was The Bix, defenseman. Yeah. 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 Wasn't there a story that, that like, at some point on uh, like one of you guys on the Rangers like who's taking who's playing center here yeah so uh like let's actually go like it was it was Tortorella and DeBoer so we we had so that year I mean it was the Devils Rangers rivalry and I was I won a cup in Jersey so I I always felt in my stamp from my standpoint when I was with the Rangers I had to like it was more of uh, it was how messed up I was in my head. I was like, I had to prove to my team now that I'm not friends with them anymore. Right. Not, I am friends. You know what I mean? It's different. On the ice, I'm fighting with you guys. I'm hanging with you guys now. And, and it was hard because of Patty Eliash and, and Zach was on that team and some of these other guys. So it was like I had to you – know, I remember calling Zach before the first time I played against him when I was on the Rangers. And we were just talking, and I was just like, hey – um." Yeah, and the conversation I was just like, just a heads up, like I, I don't know, I feel weird saying this because we're buddies and all, but like, if you, just know, like if your head's down, I'm gonna, I'm, I, I'm gonna hit you hard. Yeah. You know, like I, I'm not saying that as like, I'm just saying I'm not gonna give you a free pass because right. I don't want him to go in there thinking like, oh, Rupper wouldn't take a run at me, yeah. and I take a run at him now he's pissed at me, you know. Yeah. So uh, I'm like, just uh, that I, you know, he, oh, no, no, I know, I know. So just you know, I won't do anything. I'm not gonna do anything cheap to anybody, but right, I'm like, right. just you know, whatever. So I always had this thing in my head. So every time we were playing against the Devils. It's like I was I was in a fight and you know Brandon Pross was always game to fight and there's fights building up throughout the year so there's this tension so we're going into one uh, this game it was in March uh, it's right at the end of the year both teams are going to the playoffs and Torts comes in the locker room Pete DeBoer is coaching um, coaching New Jersey and and Torts comes in our room and he's kicks a can garbage can over he's yelling swearing. 
um, saying this world or this junior mentality coach, and he's calling him a junior hockey coach. <laughs> so I, we know towards the front, but he's not really saying anything. And then he goes, he he goes, writes down their starting lineup, and they've got uh, you know, Cartsy certainly certainly can play, and he was uh, a good player. He was, he, was, he was tough though too. And they had uh, Cam Jansen and Eric Bolton starting, and then on the back end, I think they had Anton Volchenkov and Bryce Salvador, so two big boys on the back end. So Torres is mad. He's like, they want to start off the game like this. Like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And I remember he says about you know Gabby Marin Gabrick is on yeah. the team. He goes, what am I supposed to do? Put Gabby out there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I look at we look at Gabby, and Gabby's just like, yeah, good point. Like, I don't really want to go out there for that. And uh, so they, uh, he starts naming, he goes, uh, you know, Presty, right wing, Rupper, left wing, Bix, go play center. <laughs> and so he leaves the room and, he, and he's like, I don't want to put you guys in harm's way. I don't like doing this, but I don't know what to do here, you know? And so he leaves the room. So then we just kind of, the locker room's kind of quiet. We get up and Bix comes walking over. And Prust and I look at each other. We got all three of us kind of convene in the middle of the room. We're just kind of talking quietly. We're like, so how do we want to address this? Like, hey, what do you guys, how do you want to handle this? And Bix goes, so I've never taken a face off before. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, how do I hold my stick? And I go, drop I go, it. I go, Bix, you're not out here to win the draw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you think Tor set you up here to snap the draw back? Yeah, like, yeah. No. So, uh, so we kind of like laugh about that. And then uh, we just kind of, we just said like, hey, we're not going to, if it happens, it happens. Like, just, you know, I, I, I don't know. Let's go play. Let's yeah, go. Yeah. You know, I felt like our line had... We were, besides Bix, I guess, playing forward, but like Brandon Press and I were able to provide some offense uh, on occasion with, mm -hmm. with the Rangers, and I didn't feel like maybe their fourth line at that time could. So I'm like, hey, man, let's go get a goal. Uh -huh. You know, We go out there, and you knew right off the hop, like, it was happening. All of MSG, here's the starting lineup. They see everyone starting the game. Yeah. Everyone's on their feet. Not a word was said between anybody. Just You just focused on who was across from you, and it was Eric Bolton from me. We dropped the gloves. I look over the other four guys dropped their gloves too and it was uh i thought it was maybe one of the last times we've seen it but we've actually seen yeah. it since uh, yeah, a absolutely. couple times so no doubt and then, uh, during the during the uh the pandemic you actually did a zoom with all six of you participants yeah. right just no it was cool and it yeah. was good because everyone's good guys we we're telling stories from different vantage points you know bix bix got the face-off win i think <laughs> is, as far as the stats go in the nhl but Talk to Cartsy about it when you run into him. He's live like avid. He says that he, he won the job. Yeah, I know. He's and told me you, that before. And when you look, he's got a point. I yeah. think he wins it back and then it hits off a skate and then goes behind Bickle. So yeah. it probably should have been a Carter win, but hey, you know, Bix has bragging rights. <laughs> That's funny. Is um, Let me ask you, uh, before I, I turn to a couple of other subjects, I, I've talked to you about this, this a lot, but the 2003 um, Stanley Cup run, you scoring the cup clinching goal. I was there in the building for that. Um, you know, the other thing I remember about that is we had a passionate PHWA meeting right before that game as well. And just a lot of, con a lot of tension in the uh, PHWA. <laughs> a bunch of hockey writers yelling at each other. It was really uh, stressful. Um, but uh, you score the cup clinching goal. I mean, how much, how, you know, and your first ever goal is a cup clinching goal. I think you're still the only one in NHL history. It has to be probably the only one in NHL history forever. How, how much pride is there for that? And do you, do you kind of replay that in your head every now and then? Or is it old hat at this point? Yeah, you know, what? It, I think that the big thing for me is when it happened, I was still trying to make it in the league. Yeah, you know, and stay. So I had 
26 games of NHL experience, and I get kind of airdropped. I was a black ace, not playing for the entire playoffs, just skating on the side with a group of, of players from Albany of the American League. And then I get kind of airdropped into games four, five, six, seven. And so that happens. So I'm actually going into that summer, I'm like, I still got to make this team. Like, I'm not a bona fide NHL. Like, I'm not, I don't even know if I'm going to stick, you know? So I never really ever get to enjoy to fully enjoy it, I think, till I was done playing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. Like, it was cool. You know, people would ask about it, and it was just a cool memory when I think back and how crazy in that moment that that game was. Um, but I couldn't, like, enjoy it because uh, I, I felt like I always had to, like, push just to stay in the league, you know? So I, I had to do those types of things. And, and it also kind of set the bar high, man. Like, you, <laughs> if you're a part of a cup winner in your rookie year. No doubt. I mean, I'm, I, I sat there that time. Like, it was like, that was 2003. The Devils won a cup in 95, 2000, and 2003. So they won three times in those eight years. And I remember thinking to myself, man. I just stay with this organization for if I can stay here for eight, ten years, I'll be at at least three more Stanley Cup finals. No doubt, never got back. Everybody you know? thinks that. No, you think you, yeah. you just forget, you just you don't realize how hard it is to win in the NHL. No doubt. Now, Ryan Carter still is black ace, you know, on the Ducks team that won in 07, and he's still like you know you ask him deep down, he doesn't consider himself. Uh, you know, member of that team. He's got the ring. He played in the games. He got the cup. All that stuff. And and. Uh, you know, but you scored the cup. But, but it's different. Yeah. You know that. No, but the, no, but it, the the point though that it, it's, it's I, I feel no, but I feel the same way. Yeah. And I felt the same way because so I, I think a lot of it's like the little things, right? It's like so, and I'm not saying this to pull my own tires because I I want to make a point here because I know how Cartsy would feel there because I felt the same way and I played in games four, five, yeah. six, and seven, and and in game seven we won that game three nothing. And I had a goal and two assists, so a lot of people are like, oh you. You know, you're you're the reason why they won. Uh, no, Marty, they, the other team didn't score a goal. Marty, yeah. Marty was pretty good. You know, we had a great team. I was very fortunate that night. And and but my point in that is that I felt like I was I wasn't fully a part of it because I remember after Game Four, coming to the locker room, guys have ice bags, head to toe stitches all over the place. Yeah. They've got black eyes. They've got you know uh, you know fat lips. I was fresh as a daisy. That that that's what helped me to do what I did. But also, like, I didn't feel like I was part of the grind with them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, was I part of that team? Yeah, I'll, I'll hold that forever. And the guys have been amazing to me. And and I was very fortunate to be a part of that group. But I understand, like, you want to be in it from the beginning. And I think that's what makes the Stanley Cup so so impressive and and so awesome to win. Yeah, no doubt about it. That those those Devils teams were special as well. Let's talk about the Danbury uh, Thrashers, uh, the uh, tra- Trashers, Trashers, right? Trashers yeah. yeah, of course, because uh, Jimmy was a trash uh, guy. And uh, if you haven't seen the documentary, it's called Untold Crime and Penalties, um, and it's about the Danbury Trashers. That during the two thousand four five lockout, Mike Rupp parachuted in on that team. <laughs> and I found out last night talking to you that Gino Parrish, Mark yeah. Parrish's unbelievably good-handed he's, brother. He's ridiculous. He's yeah. so good. I watched him play an outdoor game, pickup game a couple weeks ago. That guy's got incredible hands. I, I thought that same thing yeah. when I, so when I, when I started skating with him, I'm like, why isn't he, why didn't he play in the, play yeah. like in the NHL? Yeah. <laughs> That's why, like, yeah. how good his hands were. Yeah. Uh, Mark always says that his brother had better hands than his. His goals just went in. Um, but let's talk about that Danbury Treasure team. And if you haven't seen the Netflix documentary, you got to watch it. But it was a, you know, in a short amount of time, you can give the Cliff Notes version of the, what the team was, but how you wound up on the team. Yeah. So uh, I guess the 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 Cliff's, Cliff's notes of it would be uh, Jimmy Galante was, you know, owned the trash, biggest trash kind of 
mogul, I guess, yeah. in, on the East Coast. And his son, uh, who was 17, was an avid hockey fan, WWE fan or WWF at the time. And uh, he uh, played hockey in high school, blew his knee out. It, hockey was everything for him. And uh, so his dad's like, all right, cool. I'm going to uh, I got some money here. I'm going to buy him his own <laughs> hockey team and he's going to be the GM. So he made him the, the GM at 17 and said, here's your team. Let's run it. And it was the United Hockey League lockouts going on. They are trying to find players of, of uh, you know, and that team's already up and running. And they they wanted to build a team based off of what this kid. They wanted an identity. He was big WWF, loved hockey. He was a big Devils fan. That's how he was. He was at Game Seven. That's how he saw me. That's how when mm. they were looking when the NHL season was canceled, and they're like, we're going to look for NHL players. In his mind, the, I was the last guy he saw in a live game, and I, I had a successful game. So <laughs> he, he thought I was like. The next you know, big thing. I was the next big thing in the NHL. Yeah. So I got a phone call. It's uh, hey, they built this team here. Um, they they want to they want to win this this title in the UHL. So um, <laughs> yeah, they but they built the team to bring together AJ, the the kids love of hockey and wrestling. It was the toughest team I've ever seen. Like it was it was slap shot. It was slap shot meets you know mighty ducks. Yeah, and. So he kind of brought that together, and the, uh, I remember got a, a phone call if I wanted to come there and play, and it was something like I could stay in Western Pennsylvania, practice with the Erie Otters of the OHL, and just check our schedule. Uh, you could f- I'll fly in, you could play ten games of the remaining twenty-two to to qualify for a playoff roster. I do that. It's crazy brawls all the time, and we are a good team though too, and winning games and 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 kind of taking the the minor hockey league uh by storm uh lots of other little nuggets in there that yeah, happened along yeah lots the way. of nuggets in there uh but it was basically kind of the the sopranos yeah every day of every day of business and every every day of kind of doing things met the hockey world and that's how the it was done yeah so it's it, crazy quick little story barry melrose and steve levy were the owners of the adirondack ice <clears throat> There are rivalry, and I guess Barry. And I talked to, to Barry about this, and it's it's awesome uh, hearing his side of it too. He made a comment in uh, ESPN Radio or something because this was this was getting on ESPN and stuff. There's 17 year old kids running a hockey team, and he made he just made a suggestion that yeah yeah I don't know what's going on down there, but Tony Soprano is running the team down in Danbury. Yeah, and Jimmy didn't like this. Yeah, and from that then on, every time we play against Adirondack. The guys were getting called out of retirement that haven't played in four years. Have been, you know, it, it, you can't make this stuff up. The guy that's uh, Chad Wagner, I think was his name. He was he was expelled or banned from two minor pro leagues. They brought him in to play like a weekend series against Adirondack. God. So it was coming in there, sending a message. We played those guys yeah. in the playoffs and we beat them in the playoffs. And anyways, all this stuff happens. And then, unfortunately, some of the uh, as far as the the garbage industry, uh, the FBI was following this entire time, <laughs> yeah. and uh, that's kind of where they bring this together. As far as yeah. Sopranos meeting, yeah, it, and it is a um, it was a tough, tough team. Um, let me uh, the the other thing that you said in there in the doc uh, that you also said last night to me is that is that really that you'll walk around New York City and people will be like, I remember you on Danbury, and you're like freaking won a cup for the Devils right across the river. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny because like I didn't realize this part of it, and it was cool to learn about it, even just learn about minor pro hockey history and, um, you know, just the NHL wasn't, wasn't up and running, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess New Haven, Connecticut used to have 
a team. I don't I don't recall which league it was, but it was like there's there's like this little niche there of like bloodthirsty old school hockey fans. They didn't have a team anymore. Uh, the NHL season's on hold. So we started kind of getting some people from New York coming in. So maybe like Ranger fans are coming to Danbury. The, the uh, um, you know, uh, they're coming from uh, all over the place in, in, in Connecticut. And this, this, this crowd base kind of loved this roster. And it just created this atmosphere that was, I mean, we we're playing in front of maybe 5,000 people in the, this tiny rink. Um, the crowds are nuts. They're going crazy. Uh, they just want to see fights. Like it felt like I was in the seventies. You yeah. know what I mean? And, uh, so it was, uh, it was, it was a, a unique branding yeah. by them, but it was cool because yeah. it was kind of like the perfect storm. There's nothing else going on yeah. and, uh, they could run the team any way yeah. they kind of wanted. I will tell you this. So I covered the Florida Panthers and, uh, in 90, my first couple of years in the NHL, the new Haven beast were their affiliate, okay. uh, Carolina and. Florida shared a uh, team in New Haven, so that's yeah, probably so always, what yeah. I don't know. I yeah. always heard that they well, have, they had all those like I mean, they probably had the Peter Orals of the world and people like, like these that. These guys yeah. would these guys that might would, be a little after these guys would sit there in the fan. There's section 102, and I was like the rowdies. You remember from the documentary? Yep. and they, they kind of documented them. They would sit there, and I remember this: a guy got knocked out with a hit, like he's out on the ice, <laughs> and. I'm not, I'm not laughing. The guy ended up being okay. That's why I can kind of joke yep. about it now. But that's a scary moment. We yeah. all know that when we're watching the game. These fans are passing around a body bag above their heads, and they throw it on the ice. This The guy's unconscious on the ice. The trainer's out there, and this body bag probably filled with, like, you know, newspapers or something yeah, yeah. is bouncing on the ice next to him. I'm like, these people are nuts. And, yeah. like, the guys on the other team, they didn't want to come into Danbury to play. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And there were a bunch of NHLers in that league that year in places like Quad City and T Detroit and people like that. Places like that. Uh, just lastly, uh, Mike, uh, you know, you follow the Wild really well on NHL Network. It does feel like, uh, yeah, I, you know, I know you're friends with, guy, with Zach Parisi and people like that, but it does feel like there's a culture change here and that this team suddenly with a lot of skill, um, a lot of speed, a lot of work ethic, and also a really bright core of prospects coming that it looks like this team's on the up and up and coming right now. Yeah. No, I, you know what? I love what they've done here. Uh, you had to take some real bold moves to get here. Mm -hmm. um, I give them credit for doing that. It's, you know, that whole situation I'm sure was, was tough for everybody involved, but it was really the most necessary thing for, I think all parties, right? Like, and, and this team needed to get, have a, a change of, of the guard a little bit, yeah, a, clean slate. Just a clean slate and just kind of move forward. And, and, and it's always tough too, when you have a new GM, new coach and, and how do you, you know, it's hard to kind of be able to do that in a normal situation. So, um, you know, I think that it was probably best for everybody, but I love this team, man. I love this team. I love the way, I love the way Dean Evison coaches this team. It makes me, when I watched this team, I was like, you know, that's a guy I would want to play for yeah. because you sit there and the coaches, they, they, they reach the room more. It's just like anything else, man. Like, you know, if you know that someone else isn't doing their job, but they keep getting the reps, yeah, that bothers you. Yeah. And, you and you almost, you don't, you don't check out. You're never going to check out. But the NHL, there's such a small, there's just so, so much, it's razor thin from winning and losing. If you lose an edge in any way, like it's going to tip the scale the other way. And so when you have a coach that's like, and I know, hey, if I come here and I work and I perform and I and I have, if I have a game where we're just in the offensive zone the whole game, guess what? I'm probably going to get more minutes next game. Yep. 
that's what it seems like he does here, right? Yeah. So if you're Kevin Fiala and, and, and you sit him down for a minute, that that's good for other guys on the team too to show like, hey, I, I'll sit this guy down. Yeah. But I'm going to sit you down too. You know what I mean? And, and the, the accountability throughout, I find, is is awesome. That's yeah. why this team, any given night, you can have um, – you can have uh, it could be Fiala, it could be Zuccarello or Caprizov one night, but then it also could yep. be. I mean, Ryan Hartman and and uh, you know when when X in or you know, Rem Pitlick, you know what I mean. Like if Absolutely. you if you it, come into work knowing that if you do well, you will have a good day. <laughs> yeah, it's all the difference in the world because no I've played on teams where. I can come in. I can score my first shift of the game. I, I, it might not change anything no. for the rest of the game, and that's and, that, and that's that's fine. But like, it, you get more out of guys. So like, I thought that Dean Evason has done a great job of doing kind of pushing those buttons and keeping everyone going. So every night when you have twelve forwards playing, you've got twelve forwards you can make a difference because they're all feeling the game and, and they're getting some good minutes. Um, then I, you know, Billy's done a great job. I mean, Alex Goligowski, I play with him in in Pittsburgh, has been a great ad. Uh, it looks like Kulikov has been been a nice add yep. too. So I mean, you're losing a guy like Ryan Suter that ate up a lot of minutes, but you're having other guys now. You're seeing other guys be able to flourish maybe a little bit more. Uh, this team's these two teams in the Winter Classic, I think, are two of the more well-built teams in the league right now. Yeah, well, hey, Rupper, I appreciate it. I love shooting the shit with you and you played for the Wild, uh, and I love it. Uh, we could go freaking two more hours easily on this, but these are called mini-pods, allegedly. Um, <laughs> they go longer the way I write. Like, I, I write too long, and these pods have gone, like, these <laughs> mini-pods. Originally, the idea is, well, oh, we're just do like, five or six, ten-minute pods, and each one's been, like, 20 or 25, so my producers are going to go crazy. Uh, <laughs> but people are going to just eat this one up. Um, you do such a great job on NHL Network, too. Well, I've told you this a million times you've i said this to jamie hirsch on this podcast that's uh that's that's gonna be part of this too you have this just great cadence about you uh, um so thoughtful in the way that you you talk about everything on nhl network so it's just been a pleasure watching you seeing the way that your post career has taken off as well, well thank um, it's you, pretty man. cool i appreciate that yeah. a lot so no it's uh, great coming back here and we've you and i stayed in touch a little bit but great seeing you here and yeah. uh, great to be back in mini so my thanks to keith jones and darren pang kenny albert jamie hirsch mike rub for joining uh this week's straight from the source um it'll be uh hopefully a couple games coming up here the wild play in Boston on Thursday night, then at home against the Washington Capitals on Saturday night, at least currently scheduled in this ever-changing world. Who knows what happens between now and Thursday and Saturday. Um, but right now, those games are on. Unfortunately, the Wild won't play in Winnipeg and Edmonton next week. Then they'll they'll basically, between Saturday's game next Friday, uh, the home game against Anaheim, they won't have any games. So a lot of off days coming up um, as well. But thanks, as always, for tuning in. Um, if you are a avid athletic podcast listener, this is another week to hop on our athletic app and listen to a bunch of podcasts, uh, U.S. Olympian and Bally Sports North, color analyst Gigi Marvin and Florida Panthers general manager Bill Zito or Craig Custance and Sean Gentili's guests this week on the Athletic Hockey Show USA and guest host Julian McKenzie, one of our great athletic editors. Uh, join Jesse Granger and Sarah Sivian. They welcome Vince Trocek from the Carolina Hurricanes to the Athletic Hockey Show Roundtable. Thanks for listening to Straight from the Source. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform and don't forget to leave a rating and review. And right now, get annual subscriptions to The Athletic for just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash straight from the source. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, everybody.